I've kind of shifted gears a little bit, and I was praying and thinking through and asking God, what can I talk on today that would be pertinent um, for um, this moment that we're all facing? And so really what I want to talk about today, this is simply one simple theme that I want to get across, one point that I kind of want to drive home, and it's simply this. Sometimes God will tear things down only to build them back up again. Sometimes God will tear things down only to build them back up again. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God, you know, looked down on the city of Crowley and said, you know what, everybody's just living in sin, and I'm going to flood it, and it's going to be my judgment. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, sometimes God does allow, and he uses disaster and tragedy and pain so that he can grab our attention sometimes. And sometimes, for many of us, how many of you in here, the only way that you learn is the hard way? Anybody in here? Any, like, the only way that you grasp some things sometimes is, is the hard way. And I want you to get this in your head this morning. Sometimes God will deconstruct things in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, only so that he can grab a hold of our attention so that he can build us back up today. And I want to prove this to you. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. If you don't, the, uh, the verse is going to be here on the screen. And this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and it says this. In the past, I deliberately uprooted and tore down this nation. I overthrew it, destroyed it, and brought disaster upon it. Now watch this. I love this part. But in the future, I will just as deliberately plant it and build it up. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now I want you to notice a few words kind of in this text. God deliberately uproots, and then he deliberately rebuilds. He deliberately uproots the people, and he deliberately rebuilds. And here's what, I, here's what I want to get across to you this morning, is that oftentimes, for many of us, because we have to learn the hard way, the only time sometimes we realize that God is trying to speak through us sometimes is through pain. And sometimes is when God rearranges the circumstances of our life. I have learned this. When I am the most comfortable in my life is when I am the most stagnant in my relationship with Jesus. And oftentimes, God will throw some things in the mix to grab my attention. Because if we were honest with ourselves, if everything in our life just went perfect all the time, the truth is there probably wouldn't be any reason to really pursue and to seek God. Unless we really had a deep understanding of who he really was. But in order to understand why God tore down and and restored the nation of Israel, we have to go back a few chapters. And this is Jeremiah 18, verse 5. And it says this, this is Jeremiah talking. It says, Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as the potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as if as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant it and build it up in a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey, I will not bless it as I said I would. So here's what he's saying. I don't know if you've ever messed with clay. I took art classes a few years ago. And one of the cool things about clay is once you get it perfectly on that spindle and you get it wet enough, you can begin to shape it and mold it however you want. And that's what God's saying. Listen, if I'm the author, if I'm the creator, don't I have the ability to shape things and mold things however I choose to? 
But he says this, the plans that I have, I will abandon them if people would choose to turn to me. But if they continue to persist in their rebellion and in their evil ways, then he says, then I'm going to act. God deliberately destroyed Israel because of their evil ways. But he also warned them. He said, if you turn, if you do this, I'm not going to do everything that I planned to do. Earlier I said some of us have to learn the hard way. I'm definitely one of those people. Um, about almost nine years ago now, my wife and I went on a honeymoon to Cozumel. And um, I've always been an adrenaline junkie. I have always loved roller coasters. I've always loved speed. I have always loved jumping off of things. And it absolutely drives my life crazy. So if you've ever been to Cozumel, there are this... Um, on the side of the island, it's all sand, it's all beach, and on the other side is like these huge rock faces, these huge cliffs. And so we're eating at this restaurant, and outside of this restaurant is this huge cliff face, and they have this hole in the rock that this water has just worn down. And as the tide would come in, it would shoot this water almost through this hole, kind of like a geyser. And they have all these kind of people taking pictures of it, looking at it, fascinated by it. And I'm going, man, I don't want to just take a picture of this. I want to get up close. I want to feel it. I want to touch it. I want to see what it's like. And my wife literally looks at me. She goes, don't go over there. You're going to hurt yourself. And I'm like, woman, you don't, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going over here to try this thing out. So I climb up this cliff, and I'm looking down this rock face, and I'm just watching this water just skyrocket through this thing. And I'm like, man, this is fascinating. And before I know it, this, the tide comes in, and it's kind of like that moment of like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And it's that moment of I see the tide coming in. I was like, that's a lot higher than it's been every other time that I've been standing here. The water comes in so high, it comes completely over me, pulls me into that geyser, and I shoot down that hole. And I literally, by the grace of God, grab on like by my left hand, and I'm just hanging there. And this water is like just beating me up against this rock cliff. And all these men are probably like, what is this young idiot doing down here? They run over there. They pull me out of this thing. And I can just see my wife like, oh, I told you so. Like, I told you not to do that. And I walked away from there realizing that was stupid. (laughs) For like the next two days, we couldn't really do any activities. I had cut myself up. I was like limping away. But you know, like you macho men, when you fall down that hole or you fall down, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm good. You know, you're trying to play it off as much as you can. That's how I'm walking back to the hotel. And I learned something from that. Sometimes God uses some of the things that we go through to grab our attention. And sometimes we're so convinced and we're so sure of ourselves, if I just continue down this path, doing it my own way, I am absolutely certain that things will work out. And before we know it, we're in a place that we never thought that we would be. Now watch this. Before God destroys Israel, he gave them a loving warning. And here is Israel's response. Watch this. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all of Judah, Jerusalem, and say to them, This is what the Lord says. So this is God speaking. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. Now listen to the people's reply. Don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own desires. Now, 
I'm quite confident that most of us, when we hear God speaking something to us, maybe we don't hear it audibly, but we know the right thing to do. Maybe we don't say those exact words, but inside we're thinking of it. Like, God, you're going to take way too long to rebuild this for me. This thing in my life, it's been going bad for so long, and I just need to figure it out. So why was God planning disaster for Judea and Jerusalem? Let me put it to you this way. He was planning it because he loves them. And at the end of it, it wasn't be, he wasn't about to destroy them because he was a, a mean father. He was about to sh- destroy them because in the end, he really saw that what he was doing was for their good. That it was the only way that they would turn back to him. How many parents in here? Show of hands. How many parents in here? If you're a loving parent, if you're a loving father, if you're a loving mother... Whenever your son or your daughter, let's say you're just playing out in the front yard and your son or your daughter makes a beeline for the road and they head off toward the road, do you say, hey, Johnny, don't go towards the road? No, you yell at the top of your lungs, get out of the road, right? Because you're a loving father, you're a loving mother, you care for your son or for your daughter and you know that if they step in the road, you know the danger that is waiting for them. So you run out there, you grab them, you probably discipline them in hopes that they would never do it again. So could it possibly be this, that whatever pain you're going through right now, whatever the flood for many of you may be destroyed, whatever the circumstance is in your marriage right now, could it be that it's not because God is angry at you, it's because he loves you and he's trying to grab a hold of your attention? Because he loves you so much, every loving father at the end of the day disciplines their children because he wants good for them. But the children of Judea and Jerusalem, they refused to believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And at the end of the day, they said, you know what, God? I think our ways are better and we're just going to continue living how we ought to. Because you're taking way too long. Let's just be honest. How many of you guys sometimes when you're in the middle and your back is up against the wall and you just feel like, God, could you just hurry up a little bit? Anybody ever feel that way? Like, God, do you see the circumstances in my life? Do you see, do you see my business? Do you see my marriage? Do you see this circumstance? God, can you speed it up a little bit? And there is this tendency inside of us when we don't see God act immediately that we want to grab a hold of the reins and we want to drive and we want to take control. I want to read this. It's not going to be up on the screens, but if, you, if you'd like to follow along, it's in Jeremiah um, 18, verse 13 through 17. So this is after the children. They say, God, you know what? We're, going to, we're just going to do what we want. Um, and this is God's response to them. Starting in verse 13. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin in Israel has done a very horrible thing. It says, does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountains' waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? Now watch this, verse 15. But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to their false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in their ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway. 
making their land a a horror and a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of calamity. So this is what God is saying. Every single person that passes by this city recognizes their evil ways. And they shake their head and they go, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're continuing to live life like this. But everybody in the city, they can't see it. Because oftentimes when you're so stuck in your own ways, everybody else can see it but you, right? This is why living in community is so important. This is why here at this church, we really genuinely believe, and you're gonna, they're going to be kicking off in September, why we believe community and life groups and going through Next Step is so important. Because here's the thing, whether it's comfortable or not, at the end of the day, you need a man or you need a woman to look you in the eyes and say this, I'm nervous for your soul. I'm nervous for your soul. And here's what we've gotten very good at in church. We've gotten very good at coming. We've gotten very good at worshiping. We've gotten very good at hearing sermons. And we've also gotten very good at allowing everything that we learn in here not to affect the week. So here's the deal. Here's what God is saying. Listen, I see everything that's going on in your life. Don't ignore me. I hear every groan. I hear every pain that you have. For those of you that have been affected by the floodwaters, God sees you and he knows you. And listen, he loves you so much that he will do anything to rearrange the circumstances of your life so that you can cry out to him. At 17 years old, my brother Matt, he's, um, he's 25 now. He, he, uh, we grew up in a Christian home and about 17, he started saying, you know what, I, just, I don't believe in God at all. And he lived his life kind of however he wanted to for a few years. And at age 19, he was driving a car. Y'all remember back in the day when you had like a little Honda hatchback and it was cool to like fix it up (laughs) and put a muffler on it that made it really loud, but it really had no go in the engine. You know what I mean? He had one of those. And in, in Jennings on the service road, they had this really sharp curve and him and a friend were drifting. And uh, so they're drifting down this side road, and he's going probably like maybe 60 or 70 miles an hour, loses control, his car spins around, they go into um, the Mermental River right there, they go fly into the Mermental River, and there is this um, post sticking up out of the ledge, and it pierces through the windshield and comes about two inches from his head. And so the water kind of fills up the car. They have to back, end up backing the car out. They had to get a tow truck to back it out. And I remember for about a week after that, there was something about him that was just completely different. And we had a conversation a few days later, and he said, you know what, that was exactly what God needed to do to me to wake me up. It's exactly what I needed. I realized how fortunate I was. I realized in that moment that my life actually means something, and God wants to use me for a greater purpose. And listen, I'm not saying that God causes suffering. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God would will evil on any one of us, but I am saying this, he does use it. He doesn't waste pain at all. Like he knows exactly what you're dealing with right now. He knows exactly what you're going through. And whatever pain that you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, God wants to use it. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, pain is like a megaphone 
to arouse a deaf world to come back to Jesus. You know what I loved? Honestly, I hated that the flood ruined people's homes, but you know what I loved about it? I saw a community come together. I saw red, yellow, black, and white all serving Jesus. I saw non-denominational churches, Baptist churches, Catholic churches, Assembly of God churches all coming together for one name. For one name. It wasn't about any church being glorified. It wasn't about any individual being lifted up. At the end of the day, it was about Jesus being lifted up. And you know how that happened? Pain. Suffering. Hardship. You know how the gospel was spread to the ends of the earth? The disciples feared for their life because they were People wanted to murder them. People wanted to kill them. And so they began to spread all throughout Eastern Europe and Africa. The name of Jesus Christ was advanced through pain and suffering. Pretty ironic, isn't it? And we live in a culture today, and here's what I don't want you to do. And this is what I want you to be very careful of, because we live in a culture today where we have gotten so good at numbing pain. Antidepressants. Netflix, Facebook, TV, entertainment, all forms. Listen, all of them, there, there are reasons to take them. I'm not saying that it's bad. But we've gotten so good at not wanting to feel pain in our life that we say, what can I take to not feel this? And could it be that God allows pain in your life in certain circumstances so that he can wake you up inside so that you can have a greater intimacy with Jesus that you've never had before in your entire life? God will tear you down only to build you back up again. God will rearrange the circumstances of your life so that he can build you back up again and so that you can be stronger than you were before. Consider the story of Jonah. Many of us know it. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? Tell the people to repent of their evil ways. Now, Jonah is absolutely scared out of his mind to go to Nineveh because he knows that every Christian that enters into Nineveh, one of three things happens. They're beheaded, they're stoned, or they're persecuted in some kind of way. The king of Nineveh was actually known for being so brutal to Christians that they would decapitate them and put their head on stakes all around his castle. You think, like, if God's like, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh, you'd be like, God, like, can I go to, like, Crowley or something? (laughs) I don't want to go to Nineveh. And I go somewhere else. So he's scared. This is what happens in Jonah 1, verse 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Keep that in mind. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Listen, you can run as fast as you can, but there is absolutely no way that you can ever escape Jesus. You can numb, you can hide, you can stay in your bed and sleep all day. You cannot escape. David even puts it in the Psalms. He said, God, there is nowhere that I can hide. There is no crack, there's no cave that I can fall into, that I can escape the presence of the Lord. 
Listen, God may call you into scary waters, but the greatest news on the face of the earth is he will be with you. He may call you into things that you are so uncomfortable with. Don't run away from those things. Can I be honest with you? When we started this whole thing, doing the relief efforts for the flood, I was scared. Like, the, the first day that we started, and then all of a sudden people find out that we're operating a, a relief center and a shelter, and we start getting, you might can testify to this, our phones just start blowing up, and people with needs, and I'm like, oh my God, how are we going to steward all this? How are we going to do this? And as we begin to lean in, as we begin to press in, and just trust in God, God begin to open up doors for us. God begin to work. God begin to do things. And it's the same way in your personal walk with Jesus. God may, care, he may call you into scary waters. He may call you into things that you may be so uncomfortable with. But if you can learn to lean on him, he will begin to open doors for you. And he will begin to do things that only he can do. So, what happens when you choose to run rather than obey? I want to give you three things when we choose to shy away, when we try to hide from the presence of the Lord. Number one, intimacy with Jesus is stripped away. Every time I've tried to run, every time I've tried to hide, I know that I have a relationship with Jesus, but the truth is the intimacy that I have with him is gone. That closeness, that connection, that emotional draw, it's just not there anymore. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a hard time connecting with Jesus? Do you have a hard time stirring your affections to know Jesus? Do you have a hard time hearing God's voice? And here's the truth. Intimacy with Jesus is almost nearly impossible when we're running in some way, form, or fashion. So if we're having a hard time connecting, if we're having a hard time pursuing Jesus, it may be because there's something that God told us that we need to do that we're simply not doing. I hear so many Christians today, and they thumb through the Bible, they read through the Bible, they pray, and they're like, man, I just I need a new revelation from Jesus. I just need a new word from God. And here's the truth. Many of us just need to go back to what God already spoke to us already and do that. <laughs> we just need to do that. We don't need some new kind of revelation. We just need to obey what God has told us to do already. And here's the truth. I don't even have to pinpoint it. Most of us know what it is. Most of us know what we need to do. But here's the truth. The only way that it's going to happen, the only way that you're going to learn to lean in and have intimacy restored with Jesus, get me on this, it's only going to happen within the confines of community. You can't do it on your own. It's just not gonna happen. And it may scare you to death to get in community with somebody else. It may scare you to death to get known by somebody else and begin to share your issues and your problems with them. But I can assure you of one thing. The embarrassment, the fear that you'll feel will fail in comparison to the freedom that you're gonna get afterwards. Any embarrassment, any rejection that is keeping you from leaning into community will be so minute in comparison to the freedom that God is going to offer you. See, Jonah in his journey of running, when he gets on this boat, you know the story, a great storm takes place, right? A big storm, 
Everyone on the ship is filled with panic. Waves are coming over the boat and everyone begins to cry out to their own God and nothing is calming the storm. Now they go down to the hull of the ship and Jonah is sleeping in the ship. I find it ironic and funny that he's sleeping in the ship. And I find it ironic because oftentimes when we're running, we begin, the best thing that we do is like we're not on this head-on run and we, we knowingly know that we're running and trying to escape God. The best thing that we try to do is we try to numb ourselves to, to, to convince ourselves that we're not really that bad, right? The reason we can stay on Facebook for hours, the reason we can sit in front of a TV for hours and we don't like quiet is because as soon as it gets quiet, we're forced to think internally about what's really going on in our heart. So Jonah is sleeping. And this is what it says in Jonah 1.15. When he begins to realize what's going on, that God is causing the storm, this is what happens. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. So this is when Jonah says, hey guys, you know what, it's me. God's trying to grab a hold of my, ten- my attention. Stop throwing everything off the boat. Just throw me off the boat and the storm will stop. So everybody's like, okay, <laughs> you know, chunk this guy off. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Basically, they're saying, God, okay, we're gonna serve the one true God now. And the Lord, now just imagine this before I read this part. So Jonah gets thrown over the boat after this huge storm. The storm settles and he's like, okay, how long can I tread water? It doesn't end there. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Could you imagine that? Like, you just get thrown over a ship, and you think, okay, maybe God's gonna, like, lead me to some deserted island, and all of a sudden, you see a great fish that swallows you up, and you're like, God, really, God? Are you serious? Point number two. Point number two. God will bring you to the lowest lows so that you can recognize that his ways are better. There are times in our life that God will bring you to the lowest lows so that you can recognize that his ways are better. Now watch this. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. And this is um, verse 1 through 9. And this is uh, what Jonah ends up saying after he gets swallowed. This is his prayer in the belly of a fish. Now watch this. He's at rock bottom. How many of you would agree with me? If you got thrown over a ship, you land into a sea, and then a fish swallows you, that would probably be the lowest point in your life. (laughs) It would probably be the absolute lowest point. This is Jonah's prayer when he's at his lowest place. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, which is just another word for hell. So he's like, I'm in hell and I'm crying out. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Now watch this. Yet 
You brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay salvation for it belongs to the Lord. Now watch this. Jonah's at the lowest point of his life. And listen, he's got nothing else to do but to cry out to God. And in that middle of crying out to God, when he's finally said, okay, I'm going to obey. God, I'm going to choose to follow your ways rather than mine. Your ways are better than mine. When he gets to that point, God answers his prayer. In that moment, it is when the fish spits Jonah up and he lands on the shores of Nineveh. In the middle of being torn apart, we must call out to God, for he is our only hope of being rebuilt. So God uses times that all of us have walked through. This low point of a flood, God uses this to say, you know what? Maybe some things have been torn down. Maybe you've been at some low lows, but I want to use it to rebuild you. I want to use it to show you what the church really looks like. I want to use it to show you what community looks like. I want to use it to bring you back to myself. Here's the thing. Some of you, maybe you're absolutely convinced. You're saying, look, that's great, but you don't understand my life. I need to run. I need to get out of this city. I need to start over. You know, the only problem with that is every time you run away, you take yourself with you. You still have to deal with your heart. You still have to deal with the thoughts that you think. You still have to deal with you. And here's the truth. You don't need a new spouse. You don't need a new job. You don't need new friends. You need to obey what God has called you to do. You need to obey what God has called you to do. Watch this in 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? It says this, Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Listen, at the end of the day, You can work your fingers to the bone and you can sacrifice as much as you want to. But God says, I just want your obedience rather than your sacrifice. And the reason that many of us don't want to obey because the truth is it's hard. It's difficult. And it's going to require some pain and it's going to require some effort and it's going to require us to open up pieces of our heart that we're not comfortable with. Number three. Only through true obedience and repentance can God build you back up. Only through true obedience and repentance can God build you back up. Jonah 2.10 says it this way, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now notice this. When Jonah chose to obey and repent, the fish finally spit him out on the shores of Nineveh. God will not rebuild those who are unwilling to obey what he's called them to do. So listen, maybe you're in here this morning and you're saying, man, my life, I need some construction work done on it. I need to be rebuilt. I need my life to be rebuilt. I need my faith to be restored. I need my marriage to be rebuilt. My, My relationship with my kids or my wife or whatever it may be. It has to start with a form of obedience and repentance. 
God is calling us out of our darkness and to repent of our wrongdoings. And there is a promise if we do this, that he will make us new. That he'll make us new. Now let me clarify something. Repentance is not just a prayer. It's not just God forgive me for what I've done. Repentance is fighting daily to flee the schemes of the enemy. So let me put it to you this way. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of all time, said it this way. Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin and a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. That's true repentance. True repentance is saying, God, I can't believe what I've been doing absolutely breaks your heart. Not only am I going to respond in prayer, but I'm going to repent, and I'm going to do everything that I need to do to run away from that. You know, sometimes repentance is not just with your words. Sometimes it's very practical. Sometimes it's just, okay, I don't need to put myself in this environment anymore. I don't need to surround myself by these people anymore. But here's the, here's the good news. Just because our life is under construction right now doesn't mean that we have to live it in turmoil. Just because God is rebuilding some things in us, just because he's doing some things, just because he's stretching us. Listen, this is a process, it's a fancy theological term that we call sanctification. And for the rest of your life, guess what? God is going to be rebuilding you. For the rest of your life, he's going to be making you look a little bit more like himself. And today you can choose to turn. Today you can choose to have true repentance and allow God to build you back up again.